Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labour. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free women. Hey, well, we're going to take some time to look at the word of God together. I want to talk to you about some of the dirty tactics that the enemy uses to rob us of spiritual life. It's a prison, almost like slavery he tries to get us into. And some of you, you might be feeling it right now. For me, I've lived in this place for even years of my life and can feel the leaning to go back to this prison, this slavery, and it just robs you of a spiritual life. We're going to look at what Jesus has done, how he's taken us out of this place and just bring spiritual life back to us. As you know, we've been going through Reboot and we finally have it written up here uh, over the last few months, looking through Genesis. Reboot, we're looking at a story that's in the Old Testament. Now, those of you who know your Bible, you know, the Old Testament is everything that's before Jesus and all of it is pointing towards Christ. His name is on every page almost. It was whispering about Christ, pointing towards him. And the New Testament is the the life of Christ onwards and through the New Testament we understand what Jesus has done and now as I said the Old Testament points towards the New but every now and then in the New Testament we come across a bit of scripture that directly links to an Old Testament story and this week we've got exactly that so last week as part of Reboot Stephen Dawson spoke to us about Sarah and Hagar and there's an Old Testament narrative and some great things we can learn from it at that level. But actually we read in Galatians 4 in the New Testament, what we've just been listening to, it talks about this Sarah and Hagar and so there's actually a lesson here that we can learn at a different level, not just the kind of surface level narrative in the Old Testament, there's a different level here and we can learn some things about Jesus. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to be looking at this particular story again but through a slightly different lens. So listen, little recap, let's just go back to the Old Testament narrative to remember it. Abraham had a promise from God. I'm going to promise to give you a son. And as you know, they were really old. He had his wife, Sarah. She was old and barren and 100 years old. Well, that's not going to happen. But he had this, this slave girl, Hagar, young, fertile. Okay, well, Sarah's obviously not happening. Hagar, this looks like a promising option. Let's go with this. Abraham decides to, to go to sleep with Hagar and then they have a baby. But unfortunately, like just disaster happens. He didn't wait for God's promises. He took matters in his own hands 
hands. Ishmael was born, but it just went terribly wrong. It wasn't God's promise or God's way and things went from bad to worse. Finally, down the line, God was faithful and Sarah did conceive and they did have a son. And the story really, as, as Stephen said last week, is of two different sons. You've got Isaac, the son of promise, and you've got Hagar's son, Ishmael, which was Abraham's impatience and unbelief. That's the Old Testament story from last week. Let's have a look now what Galatians 4 can talk to us about these two sons and their two mothers. So we just heard uh, New Testament, Galatians 4, verse 24, was read out. This was the line, I read it again. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Now what's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement, an agreement between two parties. So we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, but also like the Old Covenant and a New Covenant. We like the Old Agreement in the Bible, then a New Agreement in the Bible. The Old Covenant was law, working through law. The New Covenant is about promise. The Old Covenant was a responsibility on men and women. It hung on them to have to kind of do things for God and it was their responsibility to do stuff. The New Covenant actually hungs on God. He keeps the responsibility on himself. He's like, I will do it. I will do it. Not you, I will. So we're going to learn from these two characters, from Hagar and Sarah, about these two covenants together and how we can find Jesus in the midst of it all and how we can walk in it in spiritual life together. So first up, we got Hagar. Hagar. Remember, Hagar was this, this young, fertile slave girl who Abraham thought, right, if I go, if I sleep with you, maybe I can take it upon myself. Like, I've got a plan. I can do it. I can make this work. Or I'll just sleep with Hagar. Abraham tried to bring in God's salvation himself. He tried to do it himself. I've got this. And Tim McKellar says this about this, this passage of scripture. By sleeping with Hagar, Abraham was choosing to rely on his own capabilities. He was opting to work and gain his son. He was acting in faith, but the faith he had was in himself as his own saviour. And what happens when, when Abraham takes upon himself to get hold of God's favour? It was disaster. There's jealousy and, and history says, there's strife and warfare between these two sons, years of pain. Abraham's bid for his own salvation to through Hagar, it didn't work. It was futile, it failed. He didn't rely on God's grace or his supernatural action. He actually relied on his own sort of human ability. And the son that was born to Hagar was actually born into slavery. So why is this like the old covenant? Why does Hagar represent the old covenants? Well, if you know your Bible in the Old Testament, God gave a law to Moses. And the most famous, like 10 commandments, there's actually lots more commandments than that, the top 10 are most famous. If you follow these commandments, it'll be like righteousness to you. You'll be saved. But the onus was all on them. If you can do this, if you can obey and follow, if you can do this, then it'll be great for you. It'll be like righteousness. But as you know the story of the Old Testament, the, the, like the people of God, yeah, we've got this. We'll keep these 10. You watch. Off we go. Lord, we'd be brilliant. And don't even go like a few days without failing. And this is the story of the Old Testament. Again and again, the people of God, like, oh man, we got it wrong. Okay, let's try again. We're trying to obey you. We're trying to follow these commandments. We've got this. And oh, failure. And then failure with rebellion. Oh, this God's never good. We don't know. We're just going to rebel against him. This sense of failure. And even just feeling like slavery, just keeping the law. It's, it's hanging on my shoulders to please God. 
Another word that we have for this is legalism. Legal, your legal standing before God is based on what you do. Old Testament, Old Covenant, under the law, you yourself sitting underneath it, this legalistic living, can I, can I do it? Am I cutting it? Am I not? This is Hagar. This is what Hagar represents, this Old Covenant. You know what? The Christian life can sometimes feel like this. Do you ever feel that? This sense of, of striving, but failing. The sense you know is a standard to follow Jesus. I know what kind of righteous behaviour looks like. I'm trying to do it, but I know what I sin. I keep getting things wrong. I mean, don't get things good enough. And there's a sense where, as human beings, we do like to prove ourselves, right? We do like to, to get things right and, and as a sense of achievement. There's something in our hearts that, that spiritually we want to do well. We want to, to boss it. But the problem is this old covenant that Hagar represents. When you rely on yourself to do things, you just end up in a mess and it goes wrong both ways. I'll show you. When you're doing really well spiritually and you're living like legalistically, and what does it lead to? It leads to a spiritual pride. And people ask you, oh, how are you doing spiritually? And, and inside you're like, yeah, I'm crushing it. I'm destroying my Christian. Look at me go. First my prayer life, I'm killing it. My worship, I'm amazing. And what can happen is your, your sense of self-worth, because you're doing well spiritually, your self-worth goes up, have a bit of an ego boost. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a good, like, big deal around here. And that leads to a spiritual pride. When it comes to relating to God, you know, you, you come on a Sunday to worship, finally back in person, you see these other, other sinners around the room. Gosh, look at them, but not you. Man, I'm bossing it. And you, you listen, I'm ready to worship. Not necessarily worshiping God, like worshiping yourself, how well you've done. And oh man, you should hear me when I pray. Oh boy, when I pray, you know about it. The heavens open. You should see how many scriptures I can quote when I pray. You should see how passionate I get when I pray. You should see how much I can just change things in the heavenly realms when I pray. Man, when I pray, I, I know what I'm talking about. Not these other guys, man, their prayers are pathetic. When you come to God, it's almost like, you know, I've had a six-day streak, I'm ready to worship. And you feel like, yes, here's my star people. Come on, come and worship me. That's what you feel like God's like towards you. And actually, it starts to define you. This is who I am. I'm a big deal. Your self-worth can be attached to your achievements. You can look down on others, quietly smug in your own spiritual pride. Or maybe someone else comes who's more, more godly than you. You can always see them as a threat to you. And we actually use Jesus, not to love him, we use Jesus to make us look better. This is what spiritual pride can do if you're a legalist, but also you can go wrong the other way. What about when you're not doing so well? What about when you're not starting to cut it? There's a sin that you can't shake off and you, you try to and you, you, you just, oh, I keep doing it. This sense of spiritual failure. You start to sort of feel like you're drowning spiritually. Like I know where I should be and I just, I just can't quite get there. I just, uh, uh, uh. And I'll try, oh God, I'm going to really go for it this week. And then a few days later, you're sitting again. This sense of I'm drowning. I can't keep up my devotional life. Obviously, you know, how are you doing? I'm a bit of a joke spiritually. Demeanour drops, I'm not doing well. Internal sense in your heart, like I'm just pathetic. I can't do this. And sin, oh man, don't even talk about sin. The sense of God's disappointment in you. You're not cutting it. Even at work, you, you keep doing the same sins over and over. Disappointment turns to anger. I, don't, I can't even dare look him in the eye anymore. He's just, he's just angry with me. And, and anger, you feel the shame. Shame makes you hide. And then this shame turns to a feeling of failure. And again, it comes into your identity. It's not, it starts to define you. It's not just I failed, it's I am a failure. I'm a spiritual failure. It's who I am. I see others in a room, they're killing it, not me. 
And as somebody who's really spiritually proud, they use Jesus to make themselves look better. Somebody who's spiritually failing, they reject Jesus. He's done it for them, not for me though. I'm just a special case, like I can't. What's this? This is legalism. This is your behaviour is affecting your standing before God. This is what Hagar represents on human terms. On human terms, in my way. And what does it lead to? Hagar bought Ishmael, who was a slave. It leads to slavery. It feels like that, doesn't it? You know, you're, 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 you're living in this place, your spiritual landscape, all you're really aware of is what you have and haven't done before God. That's all you can see. Some days it's amazing, some days it's depressing. And they affect you day to day, mentally, emotionally, spiritual pride, spiritual failure. They're both wrong. They're both old covenant and it's both legalism. Trying to do it on your own, born into slavery. It feels like that sometimes, hey? If you can relate to anything that I've just said then on both sides, this is the news for you today. It might be bad news, but in a way it's good news. You're living as a legalist. In, and this is old covenant. But don't worry, there's some good news coming. This is Hagar, old covenant, Old Testament law. It's all on you, your responsibility. Now let's look at the other side. Let's look at Sarah. We go back to Genesis. Who did God send the promise to? He sent the promise to Sarah. Who Sarah? The barren woman. The one who had nothing. And the one who's a hundred years, it's an impossible situation. There's no way she can ever give life. Like she's a hundred years old, almost by definition. There's like no expectation of pregnancy. There's no way on God's earth Abraham can do anything to get this promise. There's nothing he can physically do to get the promise of Isaac. It is literally an impossible situation. And this is what God, this is what we're reading in Galatians. This is pointing towards the new covenant, what Christ is like, what he's done for this. This is a situation way beyond their control. You know, Abraham said they could strive. Come on in, Abraham. Every day, let's really make sure the house is tidy. Let's do whatever we can. Let's pray five times a day. Then I might just conceive. No, it would go nowhere. That's not going to affect her body. Sarah represents something that the new covenant, it is not dependent on you. It could never be about you. The new covenant is not, you shall do this, you shall do that. These commandments, no, that's the old covenant. It's based upon law. The new covenant, remember, is based upon promise. It's God saying, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. What did he say? I will give you a son. And to Sarah, a son was given, not strived for, not earned, not made happen through hard work. It was just given. Sarah's behaviour, her good work, no. Was it her good works? No. The promise is a gift, completely unrelated to works. Grace comes to the barren woman. So Sarah represents this new covenant pointing us towards something far more glorious. And you know, it says in Galatians 4, we heard it read earlier, 27. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth, cry aloud, you who are not in labour, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those who has a husband. Do you know what? This new covenant is the barren ones. It's those with nothing. It's those who are like failing. I've got nothing good to show. Those are the ones that the promise comes to. The promise is not for the fertile Hagers. You know, they think they've got it, their spiritual pride and their ability. No, it's for the barren Sarahs. Those who have nothing, to them, everything can be given. And so Sarah points towards something here, towards another girl. 
another promise of pregnancy, another unexpected situation. It's going to take a miracle, miracle to conceive, not because she's 100 years old, but because she's a virgin girl. Sarah's pointing towards someone out, to Mary, into the promise of life in Christ. To her, a son would be given who would carry the promise of salvation. The new covenant would be based upon him, what he's done. So I want to take some time in these final few minutes to look at the centrepiece, to gaze afresh at the star of the new covenant, to put front and centre Jesus Christ and what he has done and how the new covenant is based upon him and not upon us. And how he wants to take you by the hand today and pull you out of the prison of legalism. But when Jesus came to earth, it wasn't like God did a U-turn on this whole old covenant thing. You know what, let's set up these Ten Commandments, this be fantastic, and let's see what happens. Oh my gosh, what a bunch of failures. Oh man, Israel really got this wrong. They can't do this. Oh, I'm going to have to make a plan B here. What should we do? Uh, okay, Jesus, you'll do. Quickly come down, go to earth. No, it wasn't like the old covenant didn't work and he had to make a plan B. The whole point of the old covenant was to show them that they don't have it within themselves. The whole old covenant, the whole point of it was point towards Christ and our need for Jesus and our need for saving and our need for rescuing out of ourselves. So Jesus came to earth not to kind of like throw away the old covenant. He actually came to fulfill it, to complete it. This law, these ten commandments, you know, your devotional life, can I cut it? Can I, I'm trying to pray one by one by one all Ten Commandments, actually the 613 all in all, every single one of them, Jesus, done, 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 done. 613, done. Christ, done them all. Your sin, or if we just go for two weeks without failing, or just go for a few days without sinning in this area, Jesus went every day of his life, and it says he was without sin. No, 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 no. Tempted, lured, shall I, shan't I? No, I won't. No, 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 no. Christ completely and fully fulfilled the whole law. It says on the Sermon on the Mount, not one little bit of the law fell away. Jesus completed every single bit of it. Case closed. Covenant done. He's completed it. Book shut. Christ has done what no man could ever do. And you know what? He could have gone back to heaven then. Jesus could have gone back to heaven. Oh, Father, I have completed the covenant. Let's put my, you know, get me a drink. Let's rest for a bit. But he, and he, I've nailed it. But it would leave a problem. The problem is this. Our sin, our falling short, is still a problem. If Jesus went back to heaven then, it'd be like, I've got you in, um, but now it's down to you to keep it up. That's no good. That's like a 50-50 deal. You know, I'll hold you by hand, get you this far, but now you need to do the rest bit and definitely don't, I'll get you in, but don't you dare sin. That's not good news, is it? So here goes. Galatians 3 verse 10 says this. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So for all of your relying on the law and this legalism, if you sit there, you're falling short, you're under a curse. What does Jesus do? He says, I will take that curse. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Jesus Christ went to that tree, went to a cross and he hung on it to take the curse for us. It's not just, I'll get you in, it's I will keep you in. What do you mean? Every sin you've ever committed and every sin you're going to commit, Christ took the curse on himself on the cross at Calvary. What, how does he even know what I'm doing? He knows all things. You are going to sin tomorrow. You just will. 
And do you know what? he even knows that and he's taken the curse for that sin. What about the next day? He's taken that sin. The next day, he's taken the curse for that. He's taken the curse for all of the sins in your whole life. Christ has done that. It's not as I just want to get you in, I'm going to keep you in. No matter how far you fall, no matter how, how much of a failure you think you are, I'm going to carry your sin on the cross. And Jesus took it. He took the curse. He's taken it. That you can know forgiveness of your life. Even the worst, deepest, darkest things, you can be forgiven because of the cross of Christ. And this is the underpinning thing to this New Testament covenant. Where the old covenant was like, oh, I'm living under some law. The New Testament covenant is standing on the foundation of the work of Christ. He's fulfilled the law and he's paid for all of your sin. And this is the basis of a new covenant with God. This is what New Testament Christianity is. So like Sarah, barren, with nothing. I've got nothing, I can't do anything. Nothing she could do. It's the same with us. We bring nothing, but we receive everything. Receive the promise, receive the gift. Hagar and this old covenant, you know, do this, do that. You want to stick, if you want to stick in this place of trying to do it yourself, you're under a curse, you're under slavery. The New Testament covenant is, I will do this. Christ has done it. This is the new covenant. So in these final few minutes, let's just think about an application here. The problem is, some of you, you know this stuff. There's nothing, yeah, okay, I do know this. But we still find in our hearts this leaning towards Hagar, towards this legalism, towards striving and trying to do it ourselves. So why is that? Here's why. One of the enemy, like the devil, which is, if this is news to you, the Bible talks about there being a spiritual enemy who's out to destroy and devour. One of his biggest tactics is to push Christians back towards the old covenant. If I can just get them back underneath that law. As long as they think they're under the old covenant, what's happening? You're taking your eyes off of Jesus and back onto yourself. As long as you can get eyes off of Christ and onto yourself and swap the work of Jesus with the work of you, he's constructed an impossible situation that you can never get out of. And that is the prison that leads to spiritual death. A sense of failure, an awareness of, I can't do it. How did you get here? Have you failed? Are you under the law? No, the your old covenant is shut. It's done, it's gone. But the enemy convinces us that we're still underneath some sort of law. How does he do it? The Bible says he lies to us. One of his names is the deceiver. He lies to us day and night. You're a failure. Oh gosh, I must have done something wrong. Oh, you, you were awful. If any of these people knew what you were really like, failure. Call yourself a Christian. Oh man, I guess I've done something wrong. He's angry with you. There's no way you can lift your hands in worship. Oh gosh, I better not then. These are all lies. Hebrews 4 verse 30, what does it say? What's the response to these lies? It says this. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. Verse 31. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but we are free. Cast off. The language is like so like strong, like cast it off, be ruthless, be aggressive. In these final few minutes, I want to talk about how just as Christians, we can be ruthless at casting off these lies that come towards us. Let's look at one of them. You're a failure. You know, the new covenant comes with a new identity. The new covenant says it's not what you do that defines who you are. Who you are and what you do are two completely different things. In the new covenant, 
Christ gives you a new identity. Christ gives you his identity. You're joined with him. You have like this union. You're, you're joined to Christ. And what's he? He's righteous. What's he? He's holy and he's a son of God. If you're joined to him, what's your identity? You're righteous. You're holy. You're a son of God. And nothing you can do will change that. Everything else you do in your life, sin, you know, do well, maybe not do well, sin, maybe not sin, all these things are up and down all the time. That's what you do, that's not who you are. Who you are is a son of God, a daughter of God joined to Christ that can never be taken away. Your identity is joined to Christ. You're a failure. No, I'm not. I'm a son of God. Yeah, I might have done some things wrong. I am not fundamentally a failure. Let's try another one. God's love for me is dependent on my behaviour. How about that one? You know, oh, I've let God down. He loves me a bit less. Anybody ever feel that? Oh, he, he thinks a bit less of me. Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. Oh, sorry, Siri. Um, I did well this week. He loves me more. Does anybody ever think that? Remember, this covenant is not based on what you do. That's legalism. It's Jesus saying, I will do it for you. Your, listen to me, your behaviour doesn't affect God's love for you. In fact, it doesn't even remotely affect God's love for you. Here's why. If you think it does, it's like saying this. Because I'm wearing pyjamas, the post won't come today. What? Whether you're in your pyjamas or your best clothes will not affect whether the postman delivers post to you that day. There's posts coming into your letterbox, whether you like it or not. You could be in your pyjamas or in your best clothes. There's posts coming to you. The postman's already out. It's got the number on your house. Let's go. The love of God, if you're in Christ, is coming to you. It's coming at you. Whether you're, you feel like you behave well or you haven't, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters whether a post is coming to your house is the number on the front of your door. And the number on your door is Christ Jesus. The love of God is coming at you, whether you like it or not. Whether you behave really well or terribly, you can stand and I'm loved by God. And the enemy's crafty and sneaky. He'll tell you, or he doesn't love you. You've got to learn. Cast off that slave woman. Cast off those lies. You can stand like, whatever I am. Thank you, God. I am loved by you. Why? Because of the work of Jesus. How about this one? God's angry with me. Okay, but surely, I hear he loves me, but surely when I sin... They must get to a point where he just, he just gets angry and fell up. I get angry at people when they sin. Surely he does. You know, it says in Isaiah 54, there's a great promise about this future covenant. And God makes a promise about this new covenant. He says, this will be like the days of Noah to me. As I made a promise to Noah, I'm making a promise to you that I will not be angry with you. One of the promises of this New Testament covenant is God the Father has said, I will never be angry with you. You could sin and sin and sin and sin. And yet there's some consequences. Yeah, I'm a father. I love you. Let's train you to not do this. But I'm not going to unleash anger at you. Why? I unleashed it on my son of the cross. Jesus took the curses for you. And Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now no longer any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you're joined to him, there's, there's no condemnation left. Christ took all of it on himself. Christ receives all of the condemnation. There's none left for you. You might feel like, oh, but I still have to pay back my sins. I'll just try hard this week. You know, I'm meeting you these next two weeks. I just need to sit out for a bit. Then I'm going to really get, I'll come back, God. I'm going to promise you I will. We do, you're trying to pay for your sins. Has Christ paid for them or not? He's paid for them past, present and future. 
It's like going to like, you know, you have a speeding fine. I've never had this. If you have a speeding fine, you've got to log online and you pay for a speeding fine. You go on to pay for it and it's like, you type in the reference, paid in full. What? I've got it here. I definitely sped. I know I have. Paid in full by Christ. Do it again the next day. You log on, paid all speeding fines, paid in full. Every single sin has been paid for by Christ. Friends, these are the kind of truths we've got to learn to stand on. Don't, I know it's confusing emotionally and mentally sometimes, but we have to learn to stand on the work of Christ, to speak the words of Christ. So listen, just coming to land right now, don't let the enemy drag you back to this old covenant about what you do. The enemy works overtime to rob you, lies to you day and night. Preach this gospel to yourself day and night. Sing songs about it. Start your prayer times. They don't start with you. Just thank him for what he's done. Thank God for it. And friends, what this city needs is not a bunch of legalists who are self-obsessed and spiritually proud and competitive and, and works-based like Pharisees is ugly. It's anti-gospel. What this city needs are people who've been undone by the work of Jesus, who've humbled themselves and let the work of Christ be centre stage. As for me, I'm about him. It's so attractive. It's so beautiful. We lift up Jesus. He draws everyone to himself. Are you somebody that lifts up Jesus in the way you live? Are you legalistic and self-centred? Let's be those that humble ourselves and lift up Christ. In a moment, we're going to sing to him. We're going to bring our hearts and we're going to sing to him. Some of you, you've not lifted your hands in worship for months just because of a sense of shame and fact it's just dawned on you oh, it's not about me it's about Jesus maybe even years today lift up holy hands in worship less of you put Christ centre stage this truth is for me so we're going to stand we're going to sing this beautiful hymn every line after line after line of what Christ has done for us let's come and worship him again let's sing together